Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Happy New Year again. This is a great, great year. Uh, there's some things going on that we don't necessarily like, but we want to figure out how we can enjoy life even with our new president. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about land retention and African-American land ownership. And we have Monica Rains on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vernon. How are you this morning? I'm excellent yourself. I am doing great this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Great. Uh, you work with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. How long yes. has that organization been in existence, and what's its mission? The Federation was um, started in 1967, so we are actually celebrating our 50th year this year. And um, for 50 years now, we have been dedicated to the mission of creating sustainable and self-supporting rural communities that are supported essentially by a network of farmers, cooperatives, and credit unions. Today, the Federation operates in about seven states, and we have a cooperative member, about 75 cooperatives we support, and about 10,000 members and affiliates across those states. So you don't have much to do. (laughs) There's a lot of work to do, for sure. (laughs) Okay. And, you know, our work has consistently centered around three things, uh, cooperative development, land retention, and advocacy. And what we have found is that in the poorest rural communities, this is where we see the biggest lack of resources. So our work is very critical to helping these communities become self-supporting and self-sufficient, as well as finding ways to generate income and build land-based economics. So co-op development land retention, and advocacy. And advocacy, as I think of advocacy, is uh, working within a political system to get done what you want done. Is that what you do with advocacy? Well, um, from our perspective, advocacy means that we um, allow our memberships to create a a platform for voicing uh, their concerns and ways that they can improve their community sustainability, and so, yes, we, we certainly encourage our membership to become self-determined and find ways that they can improve the policies which affect rural communities and to get involved in that process. Well, isn't it all politics? Well, not all of it is politics. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's just communities coming together to uh, make a decision about how um, certain uh, land issues should uh, how how land issues will affect the community, how to improve resources that will allow landowners to cultivate their land. So much of it is more about again creating this self determination within our communities, so that people are empowered to be able to make decisions which will impact them and to improve their economic situation. 
So I went to advocacy first because I wanted to get an understanding of what advocacy is. I know what co-op development is, and I know what land retention is. At least I have an idea of a definition. If you take a definition of politics that I read once, and I really, really liked it. I don't think it's used this way that often, but a guy said that politics is when a group of people come together to solve a community problem. And too often I find that politicians perhaps don't get elected to solve community problems, but they may get elected to figure out how they can make money for themselves or for their family members or friends. Mm -hmm. But if you take that definition of politics, everything you said, advocacy is people, group of people coming together, self-determined to figure out how they can solve their community problems or enhance their community. And it would work. Okay. I love it. Thank you. Now, how long have you been doing this work? Well, I've worked in the agricultural sector for about 20 years now. Well, you only you look like you're 25, so how do you do that? <laughs> well, thank you very much. This is, this is extremely rewarding work, and so maybe my, my joy is reflecting the fact that I uh, get the opportunity to work with uh, some of the best people across the Southeast um, as a part of our membership. And I actually started as a college intern with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives in 1996, and I think it, it lit a fire in me to want to do this type of work to go on to get a law degree because I realized that in order to affect the type of change that we need, much of what these communities lack is access to justice and access to the lawyers who can help them to clear title and deal with the land retention issues that they face. So that inspired me to go to law school and, of course, return to the Federation and now be a part of the, the executive team of the Federation. So what was your undergrad in? My undergraduate work was in agricultural business. So I started very early in life as a 4-H'er. And in 4-H, I had the opportunity to experience a number of different types of agricultural experiences, including livestock judging, uh, project competition. And I was able to go all the way to the master 4-H'er level of Georgia and um, after that experience, I knew I wanted to major in agriculture in college. And I think, you know, when we look at creating a pipeline of professionals who want to do this type of work, we certainly have to look at starting uh, that, that recruitment at very early ages, middle school, uh, no later than high school, planting those seeds that agriculture is a wonderful profession to be in. And because agriculture essentially ties us all to the land, and uh, there are so many opportunities in agriculture that um, any any opportunity I get, I try to speak with youth youth groups. The federation actually conducts a youth camp every summer to try to steer young people into careers involving agriculture. You know, as I'm I'm talking out of Silver Springs, Maryland, Washington D.C. metropolitan area, and I would imagine most of the, most of the youth here don't even know what 4-H is, let alone a career in agriculture. Although a lot of people from the Washington D.C. area has come to D.C. from the South, D.C., Chicago, Detroit, New York. Um, and I've either lived in those places or visit them, and you get a lot of people from the South, and they have roots tied into the land. 
but they may have left the land, which gets me to you were telling me that there were about 15 million, that blacks, African-Americans owned about 15 million acres in 1910, and they've been losing it ever since. Yeah. What, what is that about? Well, it's probably one of the greatest silent tragedies out there today, the loss of African-American land in the rural South. Um, you're absolutely right. At the height of land ownership, um, African-Americans owned about 15 million acres in, in our country. And today, I think that number has dwindled down to under 2.5 million. And African-American land loss continues to be a huge issue, primarily due to the fact that African-Americans own land as heirs' property. As heirs' property? Yes. What's heirs' property? Heirs' property is a state of ownership that's created basically when a person dies without a will or without any type of succession plan. Um, or plan to transfer their land. So when they die without a will, legally we describe that as dying intestate. And when oh, you die okay. intestate... I'm, I'm sorry, a lawyer, um, uh-huh. attorney. <laughs> Monica, but this is a problem for anybody, not just agriculture land or acres. It's if you own a house or if you just have a car and some clothes and furniture. Absolutely. Uh, so whatever you have, life insurance, so you need a will, and if you die without a will, that's called intestate? intestate. Yes, intestate. And there are intestate succession laws in each state that will then uh, describe how your property will pass to your descendants. So according to those laws, most African, uh, probably about 60% of African-American land is passed without a will. So when that property passes on to the descendants of the deceased person, they now own the property as tenants in common, which means you have a group of owners who own one parcel of property, and they share joint ownership rights equally. And that problem is exacerbated when you have one of those owners die. Before you go to the next step. I want to make sure that we are clear on the first thing. So if you die without a will, then the state tells who gets the the property. Right. Or whatever assets there are. Right. Okay. So if somebody has six children, even two, but let's let's say four. If you had four children, the first thing you need to do is do a will. So you would say, if I have a house in Washington, D.C., then each of those children get 25% of it. Or you could say one child gets it all and some other children get something else. Right, and that's the beauty of a will is that it allows you to basically um, decide how you want to transfer your land and in what proportion you want to transfer it in. And then you have, of course, unlimited power to transfer that property to whomever you like, whether it's your children or not. And if you die without it, then the state comes in and says, this property will be divided by the four children first? Well, the the state will establish an order of uh, distribution. And that order of distribution typically um, involves your closest kin, blood kin, first. So if you are married, your spouse will typically have priority. Then your children, if you have children. Um, if you're not married and you don't have children, and then, then the state will decide who the closest next kin is to receive that property. Closest kin. Sound like you're from the South, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Born and raised in Thomasville, Georgia. In Georgia? 
Yes. <laughs> you don't have a, a big Georgia accent, but okay. So we got the order of distribution that if you don't have, if you have a will, you say what that distribution is, and it could be family members or anybody else. And without it, then the state comes and says, this is the order of distribution. Yes. Okay. So you said 6% of African-Americans that own land, they die without a will. And then the state says what that distribution is. Absolutely. And if there were four children, the state and no spouse, the spouse is already passed, then it would be 25, 25, 25, I think, most states equally. But if one of those children have passed, and that's what I stopped you with, then it goes to their children. Right. And let me just add, Vernon, that even to trigger the state's intestate succession, the family would have to petition the court to do a probate. One of the problems with African-American ownership is the total lack of any probate administration for many estates through several generations. we got to take our first break. I'm sorry. It's just so, so much fun and so much information. Thank you very much. We'll take our first break, and we'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's WOL's motto, and that's why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program, to give you information so that if you use that information, you'll have power. And today we're talking with Monica Raines from the Federation of Southern Co-ops. She's out of Atlanta, Georgia, but from grew up in Georgia, I forgot the city, and went to school for agriculture business and then got a law degree so that she could help farmers, particularly black farmers, keep their land, save their land. At one point, there was 15 million acres, and I really want to get to knowing how we got that many acres in 1910. And then it's down to like 2.5. We've lost six times the amount of land we we used to have. We've lost. And before we start talking back, Monica, we were talking about uh, secession and petition of courts. We have Richard on the line. Richard, do you have a comment or question? Thank you for having this program, and I really admire you. What's your name, Maya? What's your name? Vernon Oaks. Monica. All right. Monica, thank you for being there. I talk with a lot of people. I grew up in the Washington area. By the way, D.C., the D.C. DMV is very much south, and I don't know why people don't want to acknowledge it, but it it really is. Uh, So you're not the only one from the south. We are southern, too. But... There are very few people, I talk with a lot of people, I have not run into one who has been a 4 H'er, so they've missed out on great opportunities. And I say this to encourage young people that agriculture is probably a very good field to go into. Why? Because now a lot of emphasis is placed on homegrown, organic, and naturally grown things. So I think agriculture might be the way to go. But I'm enjoying you. I do have one question which is very embarrassing. I don't re- remember what the all the four H's the four H's stand for. Could you remind me, please? Heart, hand, health, and head. One more time. Okay. Monica. Well, thank you very much, and I wish you all the success in the coming year in life and in life. Thank you so much. I appreciate your comment. Thank you, Richard. And what were those four H's again? Head, heart, hands, and health. Head, heart, hands, and health? Yes. Okay. I had never even knew it. I just always knew it as 4-H. Growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia, we had 4-H clubs. I didn't 
the blacks didn't join. It was mainly mm-hmm. white people. Uh, so I'm glad to see that black folks in further south, you all were in it. But I didn't even know what head, heart, hand, and health. Yes, right. the 4-H the uh, program was a, a, an extremely large part of uh, shaping my career choice and provided just a number of opportunities for me to uh, be exposed to various agricultural experiences, to build my leadership skills and my public speaking skills. And I am just forever grateful for those experiences with our local 4-H club. Fantastic. I love it. Okay. Um, We're going to go back to you saying that most African-Americans particularly, they they have to go to the court to do the probate. And you said that we don't have probators. What what did you say? Right. I wanted to be, I wanted to make it clear to your listeners that the intestate succession process is not automatic. So in order for a family to even get protection from the state to transfer that land to heirs through intestate succession, the heirs have to petition the court to have the estate probated and administered through the state. So the problem for many African-American families is they don't have the resources or access to justice in their communities to even to even do the probate. So the land is passed down without any will or without any formal probate uh, to successive generations. And so the problem of land fragmentation occurs because the property, you started out with the example of the, the person who had four children. Well, let's assume one of those four dies and they have five children. Well, now instantly we have nine people who own the property. And each time one of those descendants dies, their heirs become owners. So I I have actually worked with families where there have been large groups, probably over 50 owners of one five-acre tract of land. Hmm. And the difficulty with heirs' property is that, number one, you don't have clear title. And clear title is simply proof of ownership by one person, proof of ownership, essentially. Um, in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina occurred in New Orleans, many of the families who were devastated by that hurricane uh, tried to seek government assistance to rebuild their properties through uh, housing programs. And what they found out was because they lacked clear title and their property was heirs' property, they were not able to access those programs that could have been really critical in helping them to rebuild their communities. And, you know, that was just one glaring example of how heirs' property uh, basically undermines landowners because they are not able to access the government programs. Oftentimes, we're working with landowners and farmers in a rural setting, and because they have heirs' property, they are not allowed to uh, participate or qualify for many of the government programs, which might be able to assist them in cultivating their farms, and also building land equity. Okay. If anybody out there has a question or comment of Monica, please call 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. And if you don't have a will and if you own anything, go get a will. I mean, that's the first. No matter if you own land or a house or just a car and a motorcycle or whatever, get a will so you can pass it on. 
and so that your heirs then can get that low interest loan or that grant or those seeds or whatever it might be. The government programs, more often than not, Monica, and you tell me if this is true, but what I've, what I've read and seen is that in uh, back in the day and maybe today, there may be uh, FDA or somebody may have a program to help farmers, and if you don't have ownership, then you can't get that low interest loan or that grant or those seeds or whatever it might be. Too often, blacks, they wouldn't give the uh, program to blacks, but if you did not have ownership, then you really couldn't get it anyway. Right. The lack of uh, clear title or proof of title is one of the major barriers to accessing USDA programs. So uh, particularly the lending, the credit and lending programs require that you show uh, proof of title. And unfortunately for heirs property owners, they are not, uh, you know, they won't be uh, qualified to uh, for many of those programs, simply because of that heir's property status. And it's the same thing if an heir's property owner owners were to go to a conventional bank to try to get money or, or finance, refinance the land. The obstacle for them is trying is, is going to be the heir's property status and lack of clear title. And, and the reason why that exists is because everybody owns it, but nobody owns it, so to speak. And anytime you enter into any contractual obligation for the land, either all of the heirs have to agree to enter into that contractual obligation or they can't they can't do it, even in a situation where the heirs are attempting to do something like sell timber. Uh, that timber contract, because it's heirs' property, um, has to be entered into by all of the heirs as okay. joint participants. So the, the example we gave is you got – Granddad owned land. He had four children, and so each of those children would have twenty five percent each of the land, and they would own twenty five percent. And then one of those children passed away, and they had five children. So you got the children have twenty five percent each. Mm-hmm. Then the grandchildren, the five of them, end up with five percent each. If it's right, so they. The grandchildren would actually divide the twenty five percent that was owned by their parents. Yeah, I'm saying if and if there were five of them, yes. In the example we were using, then they would have five percent each. And now you've got to get nine people to agree to sell the timber or to get uh, a contract. Uh, and the contract could be a very very good one with USDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they, they're the one percent loan so that they can buy what they need to plant, and then they pay it back when they harvest. Um, so that it could be also really, really good programs, uh, financially good programs, but they cannot take advantage of them because all you need is one person that is angry at somebody. I guess it, it gets to some very interesting family dynamics, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think <laughs> I think much of what we do um, as a part of our, our land retention program is we offer the families an opportunity to sit down and meet with us uh, to do a family mediation conference, and during that family mediation conference, the key goal is to get the family on one accord about what their land values are and what their what what do what do they see for the future of the land? How do we maximize the economic potential and return from the land in such a way? That, that we can create benefits. intergenerational wealth for the family. And everybody benefits. Now, we got Miss Carrie on the line. Could you give us your question before we go on break, and maybe we'll answer it after break? Yes, I wanted to ask you the question, and that is this. 
Now, if the, if you're able to purchase the land from other heirs, don't you think that is a good way to do it? You know, like if you have a mother and parent, uh, but the mother uh, accepts the land, is, is ownership to the land, and she has five children. But if you buy from the mother and pay her off, uh, then the other children, she would, the mother would divide with the children, but but the land would then belong to the who, person who bought from the mother. Am I correct? I'm not a lawyer. Yes. The ultimate goal for us is to try to keep the, preserve the land within the family unit and preserve it as a part of the family legacy and history. So what you're describing essentially is it is called an intra-family buyout. We encourage intra-family fam, intra okay. okay. buyout. Once we encourage um, family members to purchase interest from other heirs. Monica, can you yeah, hold on? And we'll, we'll take this up right after the break. We'll take our second break, but please stay, and we'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program called Everything Cooperative. And NCB's uh, mission is to... Help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And the folks in the Black Belt and what is that, 13 states, Monica, are economically challenged. Uh, Absolutely. And National Bank has been working with the Federation and continues to work with them in different kinds of ways to help folks, and that's what they do. And, Carrie, we're going to come back to you. Monica, you were explaining some of the things that you could do, I forgot what you call that, family, intra-family buyout. Intra-family buyout. Right. So you want to keep telling her about, Carrie, about that? Sure. We we think the intra-family buyout strategy is one of the most successful strategies because it allows us to, again, preserve the family ownership and legacy, and heirs who want to sell their interests have options to sell to people who are within the family, and that preserves the family unit and preserves the family land. So we really encourage this as one of the best strategies for heirs property owners to try to narrow the uh, number of owners to people who really want having a strong interest in keeping the, the land within the family. Carrie, does that answer your question? Okay. I Much. guess we, we've lost it. So, Monica, we're going to keep going. Okay. So you said that's one of the successful strategies and perhaps the best but what other strategies do you do to help out the heirs? Well, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives focuses also on how do we make, how do we build land-based economics? And for us, that's a question around land utilization within in, within some of these uh, poor rural communities. And so our strategy there is to try to help people understand how to maximize and optimize the use of their land. One of the ways that we're doing that is through our sustainable forestry program. The Federation operates an agroforestry center in the state of Alabama, in Epps, Alabama, and much of the work of that center focuses on how we improve land utilization and how we basically train people on sustainable forestry, how to use forestry and agriculture as a way to uh, build their land-based economics. And it also becomes an opportunity for us to work with our cooperative membership and building out various um, income-generating things from uh, uh, programs and services from the land. So what you're, when you said land-based economics, you're basically just talking about making money. Absolutely. Okay, and being profitable and having enough to eat. And, okay, so 
pay, you know, pay your bills and maybe have something left over at the end of the year? Absolutely. Because, you know, at the end of the day, um, we think that our efforts to save Black-owned land has to be a, a two-pronged approach. We have to be able to, to help people clear title so that their, their property is no longer classified as heirs' property. But moving forward, we also have to be able to show them a way to make money. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's all about keeping people on the land and making the land profitable. So our strategy of um, estate planning, succession planning, has to also include land utilization. And this is why it's so significant that we focus on things like agricultural development and sustainable forestry, which will then give them a path toward building, building intergenerational wealth. So how does the forestry work? So with sustainable forestry, what we have found is that many African Americans don't have a forestry management plan. And what that means is if you have 20 acres and there are trees growing on that property, in most cases, the trees just kind of happen because of Mother Nature, and they're not managed in such a way that you're going to maximize um, uh, forestry tree growth or uh, the return from a timber sale. So unmanaged forestry uh, land essentially is, is, has a broken value chain. And what we have done is we've partnered with families to say, we can show you how to maximize uh, your forestry products by coming up by getting a forestry management plan through the USDA. And that will also allow you to access other programs which may support, um, which may support your land. Uh, for example, irrigation, uh, tree planting, site preparation for, for uh, tree planting, uh, chemical sprays. So these activities are oftentimes offered through the USDA um, on a cost-share type basis to the landowner, but the landowner first has to be eligible to access those programs. So you there's our air the property. you got to own the land. You yeah, you have, to earn, you have to show proof of ownership of okay. the land. So we've got to get over the first hurdle, which is clearing up the title, to help them get eligible to access the programs, which will then allow them to start making money on the land. Okay, Monica, we have Sandra on the line. Sandra? Yeah. Hello. Hi. Yes, I would like to know, um, you've given out very important information. Do you have newsletters or booklets that can spread this information that you're giving? Absolutely. The Federation has all types of newsletters. We actually have brochures and landowner manuals. Most of them are available on our website. And that's federation.coop. Yes. Okay. Federation.coop. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Bye-bye. All right, so now we are we 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 know again you have to get you have to clear that title from heirs property to where you have clear clear title in order to get uh into these programs from USDA for sustainable forestry to manage it. And so you you help folks to know how to go in and um manage the forestry so that they can get a good return on the sale to maximize the sale of the timber. Yeah. And so if they had 20 acres, you could perhaps have 10 in forestry and 10 in agriculture? Absolutely. Um, the purpose of having that forestry management plan is that um, we have professionals who work with us. The Federation has a uh, registered forester, but we work very closely with NRCS professionals who will come to your land and make an assessment as to what the best uses for the land are and um, 
help to, to come up with a plan that will, will, again, maximize the returns on the land. Maximize the return on it. Why, why is Eris property owners uh, said they're land rich and cash poor? Great question. Uh, we often describe heirs property owners as uh, land rich and cash poor because they have land, but that land is not being used as a source of wealth and economic stability for the family. And so if you own 20 acres, I, I like to, to sort of describe heirs property owners as, as the haves and the have-nots. They have the land, but it doesn't represent a source of wealth for them. So our, our goal is to unlock the wealth potential of heirs' property and to put people on a path of um, generating income and changing basically the, the financial picture for the entire family. So I, I like to think of um, our heirs' property and land retention program as, as growing the family tree and helping people to ultimately build wealth. Build wealth. I like that. Build wealth. Now, I... I had to try to figure out uh, what an acre of land is, and I did a little research some time ago, and it said an acre of land is about the size of a football field from goalpost to goalpost and from sideline to sideline. So that gave me an idea of what an acre of land is because I, I couldn't figure that out. and didn't have it in my head. So if you had 20 acres, it's sort of like you have 20 football fields uh, from goalpost to goalpost, sideline to sideline, sort of, stacked up together side by side in some kind of way. And you have 10 of those acres, 10 of those football fields in forestry and timber and 10 of them in agriculture growing things. Okay. To create wealth, financial. And and let me just add there, Vernon, that, um, you know, heirs property is not just a a local problem. We see it as a, a regional issue because it affects so many different economic systems within the region. Um, when land is not being used at its highest and best use, um, that basically stifles the, the economics of a community. Um, but what we have seen is that when we go in and we assist heirs property owners, they then start contributing to the revenue sources of that community. They start building the tax basis through their business ownership and business creation um, from the businesses they can create on the land or the cooperative development that they can do within that community. So we see heirs property as one of the uh, 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 ways that we can unlock uh, wealth potential, not just for a local economy, but for a regional economy. So one of the reasons I like co-ops, and co-ops, for anybody that had not been listening to this program, is any business you can think of, it's where if, if it's owned by the employees, it's called a worker-owned cooperative. If it's owned by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And then you have farmers and artists that come together and to buy things together, and that's called a purchasing cooperative. They could buy seed or fertilizer, or they could even buy equipment and share it. Artists sometimes would buy, would buy a warehouse together, and they'll come in and they would work there, or they would sh- show their goods uh, and to sell them. So it's people coming together to to work together. And then on the other end of it, you can have marketing co- uh, co-ops where artists and farmers and other entities come together, groups of people to sell their products uh, and, and the 
purchasing co-op and the marketing co-op, they have staff who become experts in either purchasing things or selling things, which the farmer can't do it all and do it all well. So the, the Federation of Cooperatives is a federation of co-ops. How many different types of co-ops do you have or how many cooperatives do you have that belong to the federation? So we currently have about 75 cooperatives that we work with across seven states. And how many states? Seven states. Seven states, okay. And uh, that represents about about 10,000 members and affiliates who are a part of that, those cooperatives. And uh, I know you have credit unions. You have farmers. Uh, what other type of cooperatives do you have in the Federation? Um, we, all, uh, we also have housing cooperatives. So, um, okay. of course, when we look at building self-sustaining communities, I think it's, it's difficult to have uh, that conversation and look at that picture without looking at the importance of building infrastructure from the ground up. And we think because of our presence with the agricultural cooperatives, credit unions, and housing, we are actually addressing, um, we're taking a holistic approach to building up communities. Okay, so you can build up community by making sure they have estate planning, they have their wills in place, and so that they know how the property goes down, and then you don't have to have go get lawyers and go go to the courts to try to figure out how that land will be uh, owned. Okay, so that's one of the things you try to get people to do right off. Uh, what are some of the successes that you've had with air property work? Well, the, the best success that we have, um, I would say, is being able to take help a family take land and uh, utilize and basically get a, a forestry management plan in hand um, and, and now start to see a return on that land that they had not had before. Um, so our goal, number one, is to clear title. And once we have assisted a family in clearing that title, secondly, we want to get a land utiliz- utilization strategy, which includes um, uh, ways that we can improve agricultural development on the land and, and keep it working land, or uh, ways that we can show them how to use sustainable forestry as a way um, of generating income from the land. So um, I would say some of our biggest success stories um, are around families who have found themselves in a dire need to uh, pay taxes on the land. Uh, one of the things that is often a burden to families in heirs' property situations is who's going to pay the taxes. And that is a recurring annual obligation of of the ownership. But as heirs' property owners, um, they're all responsible for it. But oftentimes, in reality, it it falls on one person to make those payments each year. And we're going to our final break. I'm sorry to cut you off because this is so exciting. But we have our final break, and we have the last segment. It goes by real quick, Monica. We'll be right back after the news and the weather and traffic. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks with Everything Co-op, and you can get our information and get past uh, radio shows on this on our webpage which is everything.coop uh, you just go to everything.coop and we have monica rains on the show with us today and uh, we were talking about forestry and land management and heirs property 
And at once upon a time, blacks own 15 million acres, 15 million acres, and it's down to 2.5 is the estimated now. And Monica's talking that heirs are with people dying without a will and all of the problems that come up with trying to get that land and they cannot get help. Sometimes it's hard for us to get help because of racism, but if we don't get help because of things that we did not do, people die without a will, and so we've got to get people to, to get will. The Federation has a center, a regional heirs property center? Yes. And you, are you, you the person in charge of that center? I am in charge of the center, and the Regional Heirs Property Center was basically established to coordinate a collaborative and regional network of partnerships and resources to help us to address the systemic problems of heirs property throughout the Black Belt region. So what we realize, again, is that this is not a problem that simply affects local communities. It affects our regional economic systems, and in order for us to to address the problem, we have to engage uh, people from multidisciplinary backgrounds um, because the problem is, is, is racial, is economic, economic is uh, social, and I, I think it, the best way for us to come up with the policies and practices that will help us to eliminate this problem and some of the blight that we have seen that's caused by heirs, property, and communities is to come together and think about uh, collaborative solutions to this problem. Collaborative meaning we come together, we work together, and I like that. That's what cooperatives are all about, and that's one of the reasons I love cooperatives. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now we started talking about advocacy. Uh, so what are some of the advocacy efforts that the Federation is doing now? So the Federation has always been involved in, in advocacy, particularly policies that affect African-American farmers and landowners, but one of the primary advocacy tools that we have uh, been a part of um, and, and even organized was the Heirs Property Retention Coalition, which the Federation was one of the founding members of that coalition. And it essentially is a collaborative between a number of different organizations who are trying to address the heirs property issues that we've seen across the Southeast. And that particular organization has supported uh, reform of laws affecting heirs property families, particularly as it relates to partition. Now, we didn't get to go into much discussion about partition, but we did mention intrafamily buyouts where uh, sometimes land is sold to a family member but the, the opposite of that is when a land speculator or outsider comes in and purchases an interest from an heir, that outsider can actually force a sale of the heir's property. So one of the policy reforms that we're working on through the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act is advocating that states tighten their laws and due process regulations so that In the event of a partition sale, number one, heirs have the opportunity to receive due notice of that sale. So it greatly improves the notice requirements. And it also ensures that there are some safeguards against the family not getting a fair market return on that land. And that if the family is in a position to possibly purchase that land, that that they be able to to do so. They have the so, first right of refusal or something like that. Right, right. Okay, but so, let, me, let me understand partition law a minute because I, 
this is new to me, and I assume it's new to other people out there. Mm-hmm. So in our example, uh, granddad passed away with four children. One of the child- children passed away and had five children. So now you have nine people uh, owning this land, three of the children and five grandchildren. Yes. So somebody comes in and talks to one of the grandchildren, and they want a new car and some shoes, and they want to buy this from them for, I don't know, if the value is $20,000, they want to give them 5000 for it. And they right. say, fine, we'll right. get some quick money here. And they they maybe never been in the land. They live in Chicago, and the land's in Alabama. Absolutely. So, so they get their five grand, and this person now is a uh, one-fifth owner mm-hmm. with eight other people. So then what happens? That's called a partition sale? So once that person becomes an owner of any status, so it doesn't matter how small their interest is, they can actually force a partition sale by filing a petition with the court to force a sale. What that simply means is the court will have to honor that request, and now uh, the land may be put up for for auction or sale, um, and unless the family has the resources, which in most cases they don't, because remember we said they're land rich and cash poor, they don't have the resources to competitively bid for this property. And so in most cases, the land is sold to an outsider. And this is the biggest risk that heirs' property holds, and this is why we saw a need to create an advocacy effort around this to uh, join with the Heirs' Property Retention Coalition and try to enact a law or laws across the Southeast. And, and so far, we've been successful in advocating that these laws be passed, and they've passed already in six states, which will now give heirs' property owners greater protection against this type of, of land loss. So in my example, I just did a quick math here. If that person that owned 5%, if it was worth $20,000 and they accepted five, then the whole parcel was worth 400000 5% of X is equal to 20000 I got 400000 is what this land is worth. Then this person that bought it calls for a partition sale, and then there's an auction. And it may not go for 400 because it's on an auction, on an auction block. Right. And let's say somebody says they're going to give 100000 for it. And if nobody in the family, those three children and other four grandchildren, if they don't have $100,000, then somebody's bought a $400,000 piece of property for $100,000. Absolutely. And if, Absolutely. if one of those children, all three of them, lived on that property, they got to go. <laughs> and, and the and the and, and the even more troubling, uh, Vernon, is the fact that oh, once you go through the court system to do the partition sale, much of the proceeds will be eaten up by the court costs, the attorney fees, and other expenses, which may be related to this uh, court action. Oh, so, at the end of the day, the, the 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 actual profit received by the individual heirs is going to be nominal. So 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 I'm one of the children. If I'm one of the children and I'm living in there, and I I have twenty five percent, I was thinking I would get twenty five percent of a hundred thousand dollars if it's sold for that, and so it at least gets me started to go find me another place to live. Well, in actuality, the truth is, like I said, once you take all those fees what, out yeah. and the court cost, uh, what you thought was twenty five thousand probably looks more like ten thousand. All right, so now the house is gone. Grand, granddad's or my my parents' house is gone. The land is gone. 
I don't have a place to stay and I got $10,000 from a $400,000 piece of property. That is terrible. Yes, absolutely. So this is why we, we have to continue to give voice to these issues because, like I said, it, it, it's an it's a economic tragedy on a number of different levels. It robs communities of their legacy. It puts families in a position where essentially they have nothing to pass on to future generations. Their communities turn to blight because of Aaron's property. So we have to continue to give voice to these issues, and uh, we will continue to advocate at the national and state level, state and local levels for support of Aaron's property owners, as well as working in the trenches to help them resolve their Aaron's property issues and develop a land utilization plan which is sustainable for their community. So, so what I'm getting is that when we went from 15 million acres that blacks owned in 1910 to approximately 2.5 million today, a lot of it was probably lost due to air property. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so folks moved to Chicago or Detroit or California, and they don't live close to each other. They, they don't know one of the heirs, don't know one of the, they don't know how to locate each other. And then you can't do the, economic stuff you can't get money to do a forestry or to do agriculture and so it's just they're blighted and the community goes down and somebody comes in and says and that somebody's probably not black it's somebody already has money uh maybe it's the one percenters or the somebody who's local that has money and it's probably not black and then they get all of the land they get all of this land they create continue to create wealth and we lose wealth absolutely monica thank you for illuminating this problem i don't know if if I got any air that had any money down anywhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, thank you. I certainly want to just add a quick plug. Um, the Federation is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and we will give uh, light and voice to these issues during our annual meeting conference and celebration, and that's going to be August 17th and 18th over in Birmingham, Alabama, and Epps, Alabama. We would certainly like for all you are and all of your listeners to Join us at our annual meeting and 50th commemorative. Well, we also have the farmers' conferences coming up where we will be doing uh, listening sessions around the Farm Bill and how these issues can be illuminated in our Farm Bill as we prepare recommendations for the 2018 Farm Bill. So want to invite you all to our Albany Farmers' Conference, which will be February 2nd and 3rd, and then our Mississippi Farmers' Conference, which will be March 27th and 20th through 29th. Okay, Monica, we got to run. I just got go to federation.coop. You can also donate money to help folks out with this. If you've got a little extra cash, they do a great job of helping black folks and getting land. Thank you, Monica. Okay, Everybody. thank you so much, Vernon. I appreciate the opportunity. See you next Thursday. Live cooperatively. 1450 WOL.